There you have it, it's official. Alnestow is the most romantic place in the country indeed. And they like to buy roses for their loved ones. There you go. If Sarah says it, it has to be true. Today also we're looking at a protest in Dublin when it comes to the Gaelic and planning permission. The president of University of Galway joins us in studio. Forgiving TV licence dodgers? That's what Sinn Féin are up to today. We're also looking at improving their uh, brown roundabout in Newcastle there. Galway Gardaí are seeking your assistance. There's a nostalgic 80s night coming the way as well. I'll tell you details on that. We've got trending topics and Evergreen Helen uh, joins us. All of that and more between now and 12 midday. A very good morning to you. So now the people of Ballinasloe, you have to tell us exactly why you got that accolade. And uh, again, if you have any ideas, we were wondering who should we ring today to see if Ballinasloe is the most romantic place. And we were thinking of ringing a number of people. Jerry Strong was on our list uh, this morning. We decided to leave him and let him have a little nap. And uh, we were going to go to Michael Finnerty. We were afraid we might disturb his accountancy in Portiunclia. Uh, we were going to go as far as um, Galan's Hotel and speak to the wonderful couple that run it. We decided no, we'd leave them. So we're throwing it open to you right now. Tell us why Banlaslow is the most romantic place. Athai, so they must be going A, B, C, D. Uh, Athai is the most romantic, but um, Banlaslow comes a good second. So 86 38 33 55 3. Major protest is taking place. Um, Gilded groups indeed are protesting outside the door over planning and development bills. Roshini Canadia joins me. She's advocacy manager with Conor Nagelga and she's en route to that protest uh, today. Roshini, good morning to you. Hi, Keith. How are you? Good. Why is this protest going ahead and what is so bad in the Gilded when it comes to planning that you have to take to the streets in Kildare Street? Yeah, so I suppose the, the Gaeltacht housing crisis has been ongoing now for a number of years. But the reason that we are taking to the streets, like you said today, is because the Planning and Development Bill 2023 is going through the dial at the moment. Um, so it's at its third stage or the committee stage, which means it'll be coming before the, the Select Committee on Housing, who are starting their discussions today. So we thought it was a perfect opportunity to go up to Leinster House, gather people from different Gaeltacht areas um, and I suppose shed light on the ongoing situation and present to them as well the opportunity that they have to make a positive change. So give me a practical example as to what's happening because I know you have to have a housing needs assessment uh, if, if you want to uh, live, if you're, you have to li- have lived in the area or have this housing needs assessment, but why is it so onerous then? Yeah, so I suppose one of the main things that we're looking at um, trying to get amended in this bill, like you said, is this um, requirement of a local need. So a local need is a criteria that local authorities use, um, particularly rural areas, to determine eligibility for building a home when you're applying for planning permission. Um, and this this criteria varies from county council to county council or from, you know, between <coughs> local authorities. Um, and there's different examples used so it could be you know that you are you might have an agricultural tie to the area or a family tie but this requirement is kind of being constricted over the years and it's getting harder and harder to I suppose to prove or to get accepted that you have a local need so we're looking to have the Irish language recognised as a local need to facilitate the planning process for people in the Gaeltacht. So having the Irish language then would be an added aspect of planning 
when it comes to the Gaeltacht area, is that not very onerous on the, on the people in question if they come from the area and they don't speak the language? Is that not very onerous on them? No, so there actually is already, um, there are under our current legislation, so this bill is looking to kind of overhaul the planning legislation that we've had since the Planning and Development Act 2000. Um, and under that current act, there there are actually regulations about this. Um, there's obligations on local authorities to protect um, the linguistic and cultural heritage. It's, that's a quote. <laughs> protect the linguistic and cultural heritage of the Gwaeltacht in their development plans when they have a Gwaeltacht area um, in their area. But what we see in practice is that because this isn't specified in the legislation, there's a huge discrepancy between how, for example, Galway County Council and Kerry County Council might might deal with this. So there is real uncertainty for the local authorities themselves, for developers and for people looking for planning permission. So having this kind of solidified properly in the legislation would just bring that that certainty to people that they'd know exactly what what the requirements are and how to go about dealing with it. Okay, so just give me a practical example, if you don't mind. So say that I I technically live in the Gaeltic, so I do. So if my son or daughter want to build there, what is the criteria if they want to live in the area? They've lived there all their lives. What is the criteria that they will have to meet? So... and again, this is something that we're looking at having put into the amendments in the bill. But something that's in a lot of county count that a lot of county councils have at the moment is um, that there are language conditions um, imposed on on new developments. So particularly if they're larger scale developments, because one of the biggest, um, I suppose, dangers in these areas is the development of larger scale housing estates or of housing homes, um, holiday homes. Sorry. Yeah. So that a certain proportion of the houses would have to be allocated for for Irish speakers because one of the main or one of the most important things in the Gaeltacht is maintaining a a critical mass of Irish speakers. It's been identified as 66% um, and the the housing situation has had a huge impact on the decrease of daily Irish speakers in the Gaeltacht over the last number of years. But I mean, the situation... We'll ensure uh, that we're able to keep that, that critical mass there, to keep the language alive. But we're in the middle of a housing crisis then. So if people don't have the language, um, are we not discriminating against them for the sake of the language rather than what's badly needed is housing? Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I this, there is a, a national housing crisis, as you said. You know, I'm painfully aware of that myself um, as a young person in this country. But what we're trying to do here is recognise the special status that the language and that the Gaeltacht has, and kind of solidify that into into legislation to ensure that we can we can keep the Gaeltacht as kind of the you know the the life and soul of the language. So but are we rather the, than are we putting the language then? Sorry. Um, but to cut across your Roshini Canadian like that. But are we putting the language ahead of housing then? Effectively, that's what we're doing. No, what we're trying to do here is to ensure that the two are working in, in tandem a lot better than they have been because over the last number of years, it has been housing with kind of no regard to the language. Um, and we're trying, like, since 2012, there's been what's called the language planning process ongoing, um, not just actually in the Gaeltacht, but outside of the Gaeltacht as well, um, where there are language planning officers who are people from the local communities working in the communities, trying to implement a language plan, so increasing the the, day, the amount of daily speakers, for example, in, in their local areas. And the physical planning process as it is, or the housing planning process, has been kind of completely 
cutting across the, the language planning process. So all we're trying to do in this is ensure that the two would work in tandem with each other, that physical planning and language planning would be okay. able to work together rather than one being put above the other. So what time is the, um, what time is the protest taking, part, uh, taking place today? We are gathering at one o'clock outside Leinster House. 1 p.m. We'll come back to it uh, during the week, but uh, Roisin, thank you so much for joining us uh, today in the programme. Roisin Ikenaja there, advocacy manager with uh, Conor Nagelga joining us there. I want to change indeed and go right now to uh, Deputy Eamon O'Queeve, who uh, should be joining me on the line as well there. And uh, he will be in uh, the Oliran indeed uh, to um, to meet those that are there. And uh, he joins me on the line now. Deputy O'Queeve, good morning to you. Morning. Uh, we were listening to Roisin Ikenaja there, and uh, she was talking about language and otherwise... Um, What's your take on the first half of the protest today, what they're trying to achieve, and is it discriminatory towards people who are from the area but can't speak Irish? Well, I want to make one thing clear. I'm happy with the basis of the Galway County Plan. Okay. Uh, and the, in Galway, if you're from the area, irrespective of language, you have a housing need as defined in the county plan. Mm-hmm. So if you've lived seven continuous years, and it doesn't have to be just prior to you applying for planning because you could have gone away to study or get a job and then got a job back home. So you have to have had a period of living in the area to qualify you for uh, having a housing need. Now, on top of that, in the Galway Gaelsacht, a provision was put in many, many years ago. I think actually I was involved in the original version of it. And that is, if you have an Irish-speaking family who want to relocate to the Gwaltsacht, then they too would have a housing need. So it's an add-on, not that everybody has to to have the language, because there are many, many people living in the Gwaltsacht who grew up in the Gwaltsacht. As long as the the percentage is kept at 66%, is what Roisin was saying to us there. No, no, that's a different issue. So that's the one-off houses, right? Okay. Now, I'd also say to you, the main challenges we face in Connemara in relation to one-off houses applies uh, equally across the Gwaltsut and the non-Gwaltsut areas. Uh, there are issues such as wastewater, site distances because all the speed limits and all the minor roads are 80 kilometres and they'll insist, even though it might be a road that you could only do 30 kilometres on, they'll insist on the site distance of 70 metres. Now, we're looking at that, as you know, Jack Chambers is going to give much more freedom to make appropriate speed limits and roads. Yeah. Uh, we have issues in relation to but the council want everything linearly along the road. Uh, I believe that much more houses could be unobtrusively located uh, in scenic areas if we allowed a more flexible view towards what they okay. define as backland well, development. Let's co- yeah, let's come back though to this uh, protest uh, today. What, what's, I mean, you said that you're you're happy with the basic county plan. Um well, what are you not happy with then today, and why is this protest going ahead? Well, then the other issue that they're talking about, and when I, I looked at the amendments, which are mainly focused on the requirement to have uh, uh, for housing estates to to have language restrictions, a language impact statement. Now, you asked a valuable, you know, what it might appear and is a valid question, but I'll answer the question. Uh, you said. Are you putting the language before the need for housing needs? Yeah. Uh, and the reality is there are lots of places to build houses. Uh, but if you were to build an awful lot of houses, 
in a place like, we say, Inverun or whatever, you would do it at the expense of the language. And that's a choice we as a society have to make. To know we have made the decision, and this is already in planning law, that in cases such as that, you balance a whole lot of things. But can I put it to you? We also balance uh, archaeology. So you're not allowed to build near an archaeological site. Yeah. Nobody's arguing with that because it's part of our heritage. We also protect ecology. So there, you, know, you can't build one-off houses all over the place. If you're allowed to build one-off houses all over the place without restriction, um, obviously there'd be a lot more houses. But I think a lot of people would say the price would be too high. We protect water quality, biodiversity. We protect roads. We protect all sorts of things. There's a massive matrix of constraints. Now, okay. if you had an absolute free-for-all and said houses trump everything, none of those would exist. But, of course, they exist because it wouldn't be balanced. So, within reason, and remember, the Gothics are very small and very vulnerable. Uh, within reason, there has to be uh, proportionate protection for the language, and okay. I think most people would agree with that. I accept that, but can you just give me a brief answer to the question I asked? Why is this protest going ahead? What benefit, well, uh, what ben- I'm, I'm not I know, I know you're not organising. What benefit is this protest going to be today, except people in Kildare Street shouting? Well, uh, I, what I would say to you is this. Minister Dar O'Brien has been working very hard uh, on getting new housing guidelines for the Gulf areas published. And they have a very, very important because they will tie up the issues that Roshi was referring to okay. and get a more uniform approach across all the Gulf in the country. And some Gulf and some county councils have been very slack in relation to the whole balance in relation to, to, to development in the Gulf areas. We also need changes in relation to the regime on islands because uh, unlike the the mainland, uh, if you move to an island, my view is if you've lived there permanently for two years and if there is reasonable expectation, in other words, you've got a job or you've got children in school, uh, that you should be considered to have a housing need because you know, you can't half live in an island. You either live in an island or you don't. Okay. Uh, whereas you, you're not going to get commuters coming out living on an island because they couldn't get back into work in Galway every day where you might, mm. we'd say in South Connemara. All right, I better let you get on the road to Dublin as well, but thank you for joining us uh, to be David O'Queeve there. Um, I'm still confused, nobody's fault, just mine, but um, your thoughts and comments, please, to 086 38 It's a Tuesday morning, we're with you right through until 12 midday. Now, a very busy week for University of Galway, and I'm joined in studio indeed by the uh, President, uh, Kieran Hogarth, that joins me uh, today. Uh, I want to look at a number of issues with you. President Hogarty, good uh, morning to you. Thanks indeed for joining us uh, today. Can I just um, ask you about uh, Rag Week? Rag Week stands for Raise and Give. Yes, yeah, originally the, the, the whole idea of it is to raise money and, and give it to charity, so that's... Um, yeah. Uh, and, and students over the last uh, number of years have, have raised about 3.3 million for charity last year, 130,000. So uh, the Galway Rape Crisis Centre and Cancer Care West are this year's charities. And we've reinstated it on campus as a formal uh, week uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, to really encourage students, empowering them to to uh, to have a, a decent, if you like, rag week, um, raise and give week. Know, that's a big decision, but it's a great decision. I think so. It, um, it takes it out of the underground. That's exactly it. And and also, students are, you know, for the, and the vast majority of students are decent. We get so but much the next generation. feedback from uh, people who, students who've done good things for them, either yeah. during COVID or in a, on a snowy day, 
uh, people contact my office to try and find students who help them. Who, and we don't we don't hear that very often. So students are really yeah. uh, part of the fabric of Galway. It's a student city was ranked top 10 in the world recently by a, in, a, in, a, in a ranking of, of student cities. Very important part of the city. And, and then thirdly, important piece in the yes, the Students' Union themselves are doing this is that you can have uh, fun and, and a social occasion without drink. So there's quite a few events ongoing which don't involve drink and they might think here's this old lad telling us we can, you know, we can have fun without drink but the students mm-hmm. themselves are doing that. I was a student once and, yeah. and yeah. now as adults we realise that uh, you can have uh, a good social life without necessarily uh, drink being involved. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, so that's, there are a number of important messages there for us. Well, what uh, it does do, though, and I hope what it does do is it take. I'm not saying I'm using the word ruthless. Uh, some ruthless people, indeed, in the industry, in the pub industry, um, it takes it away from them, perhaps, and brings it back onto campus. So it might be more constrained. I know today is Donegal Tuesday. That's outside the college's mm-hmm. remit as well. But at least bringing Rag Week in, it's inclusive. Then. Yeah, and and when I was a student, Rag Week was was a big part of uh, the, the 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 academic year. It was and, simpler though. And you started studying then yeah. around Rag Week as well after after it was finished. So so it was it was a a, a, a part of the official calendar, if you like. So we're uh, with the students' union working with us, and it's been really good over the past number of years. They've suggested this, and and we worked with them. Uh, Kiramine, our dean of students, uh, and our whole student services uh, architecture have worked with them very closely. So I think it's working well. Galway is a student city. Students bring a lot of positive things to the city. Uh, and this is uh, recognising that as... as Absolutely. Uh, but we have to also recognise they're the next doctors, they're the next lawyers, they're the next architects, they're the next engineers. They are the next generation. That's right. And there's a passage that they have to go through. And once it's on the college... Uh, grounds at this stage. Yeah. It's and, and the it's raise better. and give piece is really important. That's something yeah. we've emphasised a lot. Is this is for it's a fundraising uh, week, uh, and that students are keen to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of events are are fundraising events. Uh, so um, it's something we're 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 yeah. uh, looking to see, hoping it goes well, and encouraging the students yeah. uh, to to see it in that context. I was looking at uh, City Tribune on Friday last, and there was um, a lovely uh, photo montage of the library. Um, mm-hmm. The work is ongoing. Is this a hugely expensive project, or is it a necessary project? It's a necessary project. I, I, I've been very keen on the library since since I uh, joined. I came back to Galway. Um, libraries are central to any university. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody at, at a meeting said to me it could be a, a, on Laurelin as well as on Laurelin, uh, and it's, it'll be next to the Kingfisher. So when you're coming over the bridge going west, when you look left, uh, the Kingfisher, and next to that will be the library to be iconic. Uh, and um, very important mo- moving nor- further north on campus so again making it more central physically on campus but really making a statement that libraries are important and uh, would, would you be closing eventually the existing one yeah uh, so on the, one um, of the choices and reason why I took a bit of time is one of the choices we had was to, to uh, renovate and extend the current library building and uh, after some discussion we decided uh, first of all that was challenging given the building but secondly to do that work while the library was still active yeah. would be really challenging. So we're moving from the current library and eventually the plan is that the science labs will extend across from the concourse into the new library, sorry, into the old library building, the current library yeah. building. Uh, and that'll, once the new library is built and decanted, uh, that's the plan for, for the current library. 
It's a massive job. <laughs> it is. <We've, laughs> you won't be carrying a satchel full of books over, I wouldn't think. It's a massive job. It is, and I think part of it is, is exactly that. So the, the building piece, but also there's the, uh, the, the the imagining the new library. And the archives. And, and moving all... Well, the archives will stay where they are, okay, yeah. uh, because there's a lot of work done there on, on the, the preservation of the archives and, and the proper ventilation. So they'll stay in that. So they stay in that, that building. Yeah. Uh, and that will still be part of the, the Hardyman complex there. Yes. Um, uh, so um, it's 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 a it's a, a major piece of work. Our colleagues, I'm very uh, grateful as well to our colleagues, not only in building in the states, but also in the library who are who are doing the work. Uh, some of them uh, will be uh, retiring, but so won't be engaged with us. Some of them will, but I think it's it's really important for yeah. us that we 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 have our staff along with us, and I'm very grateful to them because I think for me it's a very exciting project. And it's also signalling to staff in the library the importance of the library for the university and, and for students. And the footprint of it then, is it going to be much bigger than the existing? It'll be uh, somewhat so, somewhat bigger, it'll be taller, so there'll be, uh, it'll be, I think, five to six stories depending on the on the uh, what, what we end up with. We've planning permission already f- um, uh, for, for what we've set out. Um, and again, we worked with City Council on that and that was there was a lot of work there. So it'll be... Uh, a different shape as well. There'll be the book. There'll be a book bot, so that'll make the books more visible in one way. But it, they won't all be in stacks. So there'll still book, be books in stacks, but a book bot, which is effectively a, a book retrieval system, uh, wow. which will be quite visible uh, to, to, onto the Newcastle Road side. Is is the plan? So wow. Um, so a book bot. So you 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 decide which book you want. You put it in. And it come, it's delivered to you. Yeah, and the first time I saw this was in North Carolina State University, the Hunt uh, Library, which became an iconic library, and, and the book bot was very visible going in, uh, and, and in fact makes the books more uh, part of the central to the library in many ways. Wow. Um, and that means more study space, uh, more quiet space. So no space. more st- going down through um, shelves and shelves and shelves. Yeah, there'll be some shelves, and, and because some, some books will still be, and we think it's important for them still to be out there uh, and visible and, and for, for uh, heavily used books. But um, it means more quiet space. That what we find students ask about a lot is study space. Yeah. Uh, particularly coming up to exams, so there'll be about two thousand uh, study spaces, uh, and there'll be other uh, spaces as well for 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 yeah. working uh, in in a library context. So it'll be reimagining really what a library looks like. When do you think it'll be finished? Uh, two thousand uh, twenty twenty six twenty seven academic year is what we're hoping. So for. not two, three years away. Three years away. Something, and and once we start. The building work, it, you know, that's that'll that'll uh, it won't be that that long after that. The actual a lot of the work will be picking the right time of year to move and then uh, moving the library itself. Yeah. So the building may be finished, but we'll, we'll there be still some work to do in facilitating that. And again, I'd like to thank our colleagues uh, in the library in particular mm. for the vision they've had for the library, the uh, the advocacy they've had for it. Uh, yeah, and I'm particularly pleased for them because I think it's it's a really huge, important statement for, from, the, from the university's perspective. Now, today you're announcing a partnership with uh, Deloitte as well, another major company. What is this partnership That's going right. to see happening? Yeah, so yesterday we, we opened a, a, a biz hub in the Jay Cairns School of Business and Economics. So it's a, it's a space, uh, for again, for students to study, uh, collaborate uh, and meet. So it's a, it's a, it's a public space uh, which Deloitte have supported and they're also supporting uh, student opportunities both in placements uh, they're, they're part of our global experience program, mm. uh, so it's very much a student-focused uh, investment in business uh, and economics, uh, and very keen to see it because I think again, when we think about uh, buildings more and more, we're thinking about them as, as student spaces, uh, open spaces and for them to collaborate. In. What difference will it mean to business students having this? 
partnership? Uh, well, two, two parts. One, one the, the biz hub itself will be a very important space for them to work in. And, and in fact, when I went and visited there a couple of weeks ago, uh, engineers are using it a lot as well because it's just across from, from yeah. uh, the, the Alice Perry building. So it's, a, it's, a, it's really a, a, a space for them to study and, and work in and, and meet because very often they'll work in groups uh, and uh, having that collaborative space really important. A space that they own. And very often in universities... Uh, we have spaces defined like classrooms, libraries, so mm. on. But this is a space that the students will own and populate and make their own. And then thirdly, um, they're, they're, it's, it's empowering students in the context of scholarships, uh, placements with Deloitte, and providing support for students on, on overseas placement and so on. So uh, there's a lot of scholarship element to it as well, which supports students. Uh, we had some students at, at the event yesterday, uh, and it was a great occasion for them as well to be, to be involved in, in, in something like this. Well, I'm listening to you uh, just this morning, and I'm speaking with President Kieran Ogre. Um, hasn't education really evolved and changed altogether? And it's now student centre. It has, and, and that's I think it's. If you it's, go back to your times, and yeah, and it's a different uh, generation. I think is, partly yeah. students are 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 demanding that, um, and I think that's that's a good thing. I mean, I think the sense of self confidence demanding or expecting uh, both, I suppose, but expecting, yeah. and therefore they don't get it; they demand it. Um, but I think th- there's a ch- complete change in self confidence among students as well. Uh, and that's really for the good. For the good, I think the there's good. a new generation now, and we can see it uh, in 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 a lot of what's what's ongoing. Um, uh, that there's a, compl- a completely different attitude uh, towards uh, the relationship with with um, I wouldn't say people on authority like myself, but, but it's more like we're adults working together in a, in a learning yeah. environment. So they're not um, afraid to challenge you. Not afraid to challenge you, even as president. Great, even as president, I think really? that's a, that's a really good thing, uh, and and not afraid to challenge. So if they see lack of authenticity, for example, we do a lot of work in, uh, and we have a lot of uh, awards in in environment in uh, climate yeah. action and environment. Students will rightly challenge us that we're not still not doing enough. So on things like travel, things like reusable yeah, plastics yeah, yeah. and cups, yeah. all of those things uh, they'll challenge us on. So uh, I think that's that's a very good thing. One thing I'd encourage students to think about more is how they change that advocacy into advocating for people other than themselves. And I think Raise and Give Week this week is, is really a, a dimension yeah. to that, is that they're raising funds for the Rape Crisis Centre and Cancer Care West uh, So for, for, for issues other than student issues. And I think that's also yeah. a really important part of what it is to be citizens in the world and something I'd encourage a lot. But it just shows the evolution, though, of it, you know, because I'd be old enough to remember the Kigura coming in and, and it was a them and us situation always. But now it's an us and us situation, really, is what you're saying. Together yeah. as adults, yeah, and I think it's a much much healthier, and I think that goes throughout the, the education it takes system. Change, though, I mean, you have to change. Others have to change. Somebody that's retiring has to change, and they might look back and say, "For God's sake, you know, students are students." Yeah, but it's it's, it's yeah, a, and I think from my point of view, you have to be willing to be challenged. You know that that, yeah, um, yeah. and I, I think that's good that that authority for a long number of years was not challenged, and that wasn't a good thing. So you have to have no ego, no face, uh, and yeah. to take it that they're that. There may be others with different ideas and better wisdom than yourself. Uh, and yeah. that's, I think, part of, again, what, how universities have changed, is that we're no longer places which only, which, which simply, we never probably ever were, but if we're learning institutions, we have to learn from our students uh, and from our staff and from the context yeah. and the setting in which we're in, as it well as... It does change, take a, ma- a mindset for certain, a certain cohort of aged people. Mm. It does. You yeah. know, so well done on embracing it. Yeah, and I think, it, and if you do, you know, as research, research-led institutions, well, the part of research is is finding yeah. new things and being being willing to be uh, mm-hmm. to to explore and find out that maybe you were wrong before, 
Uh, so that's part of learning as well, is, is research is a very important part of that. All right, well done to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today. And again, ra- raise and give. I never knew what rag week meant. I just thought it was have a, you know go with the rag and have a good fun. Yeah, good it's fun, been an important part. And, and, and can I give. say, Keith, just uh, we'll have another chance to say, it, but thank you all here and you in particular for for the work you do for for Galway and the representation you've they've given us, the voice you've given students and the university often in contrast with each other. So you know, not yeah. always agreeing, uh, but it's, it's an we'll, important role you've played. So we'll get another opportunity to we'll, say it, but we'll, we'll uh, c- come back to another day to say <laughs> more of it. We'll keep lit until April at least, so we will. President Kieran O'Hogarth, thank you indeed for joining us uh, today. And uh, good luck and thank you for popping into us. Quick commercial break and we're going to Sinn Féin next because they want to give an amnesty to people who have not paid their TV licence. How is that going to work out? Now, very good morning to you. Welcome into today's uh, programme. Comet lines are open there. I was just speaking with uh, President Kieran O'Hogarth as he left and we were talking about the uh, John Bruton coverage and uh, the funeral indeed and how really special it was. I mean, as I said to somebody yesterday, I was at an appointment yesterday and they said, what do you do for the weekend? I said, I sat down on Saturday and I watched the whole of John Bruton's funeral. But it was it was just such a beautifully put together uh, program. We were just talking about that as the President was leaving. Uh, let me go to Deputy Maurice Farrell, who joins me on the line today. Uh, Deputy Maurice Farrell, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. How are things? Good, very good. Now, I have to say, um, we're not going to have a scrap today now or otherwise. I have to commend you, by the way, first off, on um, your Jim Fiennes, Maurice Farrell has called on the government uh, TDs in Galway to support her party's proposal to scrap the TV licence and fund RT and other public service media through direct exchequer funding uh, from there. And I commend you on that. But what I, I have to question you on is uh, mm. giving... giving giving a moratorium and forgiving those that haven't had a TV licence and letting them get off scot-free because 60 people per day are facing prosecution? Well, I suppose you look at it this way, right? So just to be clear, Keith, I've um, paid my TV licence and all that and um, uh, that's the law of the land, if you wish, um, at this moment in time. So that's reality for people at the moment, right? You pay your TV licence, otherwise um, we see 13,000 people every year going through the courts. Uh, what we're proposing here is that um, we scrap the TV licence. So uh, this isn't something that's new, uh, and we can go into the details of that separately, right? But I'll deal with your question first. Um, so if what we're saying is that if we were in government at this point, we would scrap the TV licence and we would fund um, media in a different type of way. That mm-hmm. would me- mean, obviously, at that point that... Um, that that would change. So it was like when they got rid of the water charges. You know, they didn't drag everybody through the courts that hadn't paid their water charges at that point. Um, and it would be the exact same in terms of the TV licence. So, look, I think it's something that the government is nearly trying to make an issue out of. Like I heard Leo Riker say uh, that he was quoted on radio this morning saying, you know, that he didn't think that this was realistic and that. But look, this is something that they did in 2017 when it came to the water charges. So you can't pick and choose when you agree with this and when you don't agree with this. Um, so, look, that's just that, that that would be the way it's going. But I think in general, it's good that we're having a conversation about how do we actually fund um, fund our, our media? And obviously, Keith, as you'll be well aware, we had the future of media and it was you know it was established by the by government and they had a report in 2021 but it wasn't actually published until 2022 and mm-hmm. it had a whole variety of different ways that you could actually fund pub, uh, public, public service, service media so that would yeah. be the TG Cahar and the RT and then also the public service contact content so obviously that would be um like impact the likes of yourselves so you could do it in a totally different t- types of way. You could look at getting it funded funded only through commercial activity, which, like realistically, you know, isn't you know isn't the way to go. Uh, you could reform the TV license, um, 
but you'd have to put it up extremely high in order to be able to do that. Um, and you like even if you were clamping down on evasion and all that, it'd just be small potatoes realistically. So then there'd be the other way of doing it, and I'd actually be looking at it, doing it um, through exchequer funding. Now, the main thing that people would say to you then is like, well, how would that impact on independence in terms of media? Um, and that's a crucially, like independence of media is, is so crucial and yeah. so important. Um, so for us, we would kind of look at that as a very much of a, a we'd call it a triple lock. So it would mean that like the way you would look at it, and you know, a lot of people in, in when we're looking at the budgetary process, and as you know, Keith, I've, I have been involved in the budgetary process from a kind of Sinn Féin point of view, is like looking at this kind of thing of like a year on year, you decide how much something is, and it's very hard for anybody to plan as a result. So what you'd need to do with this to ensure that independence is you'd need to be multi-annual funding. And the amount of that funding would have to be um, proposed independently by Commission the Mian. Um, so it couldn't be something that, you know, uh, could change year on year and then RTE, TG Car, um, or indeed anybody do supplying public service content wouldn't know what's going on. Yeah, but it would I mean, need to be done in that way. Yeah, but you and I have spoken about this down through the years and your support has been mm-hmm. tremendous across the board on this. But I suppose if you come back to the funding model that you're talking about, I mean, when people think of the TV licence, they think of RTE, they think of the big salaries, they think of the scandals and the payouts and they think of all of that. Now, Kevin Backhurst yeah. is trying to get a handle on that. But if you take the mm-hmm. independent sector and you take the print media, I mean, there is no such money in it. And I know from 34 years here, that yeah, the, the money is just not there. So the big bucks is not mm-hmm. in the local yeah. newspapers or in local radio or in TG Cahar even. Yeah. So yeah, you, agreed. And you yeah. have to kind of, you have to separate this out that not everyone is on 275,000 a year or getting 400,000 yeah, to leave an organisation. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and to be honest, I, I nearly think like, I mean, obviously we've seen a massive drop off and people wanting to pay the TV licence as a result of the scandal in RTE, right? We, that, like that, that goes without saying. But even just generally within Europe and even generally here, we have seen um, over the years a drop off, right? So we know that people consume their media in different ways. Um, yeah. Like, you know, in terms, specifically in terms of their um, TVs, right? Yeah. People are watching, aren't really watching TVs and that kind of thing. And also we know we're having, a, we are have more like of a growing older population, which means that more and more people are actually relying on the household benefits package, which means that, you know, the government is paying that amount towards the TV license rather than it being collected by the TV license, if you know what I mean. So the reality is this isn't something that's simply on the back of um, the scandal that we saw with an RTE or anything like that. This is something that is a trend all over Europe. Um, you know, it's been happening in Germany, Norway, Spain. They're all moving towards kind of that exchequer type of funding. Um, but it and it's as a result of changing demographics, as a result of the change of the way we consume um, our media. So it, it, it's, I suppose, it's not just some kind of a knee jerk reaction um, as a result of the um, okay. scandal with an RTE. Now we do know that one or four have, you know, aren't paying their TV license, and that would, you know, that massive drop off obviously is as a result um, of what people have seen unfold within um, RTE. I, I do know in our own village, uh, a couple of, maybe last week it was, or I think it was last week, yeah, the TV license inspector came to every house in the village uh, and basically looking for, because it was on the group WhatsApp, uh, but basically was looking to see who had um, who had a license and who hadn't. I mean, he works from posts. What a job that person has going around trying to find out who has a license and who doesn't. And again, hands up, we do have a license uh, on an annual basis we have and always have had. Uh, but... Mm-hmm. Like to have a man going out knocking on doors trying to find out who has oh. and who hasn't. It's it's a tough old job, so it is. 
Oh, that is like look. I mean, that's a that's a tough job at any time. Um, but it, like you know, specifically now, it, it is a tough job. We have to be realistic about that. Um, and like just to be clear, so like obviously that's done through on post. Um, for people who mightn't be aware, um, and it wouldn't be a situation where we'd be draw, which you know just withdraw withdrawing the money from on post. Um, like either you know, like obviously on post in general, have an have an extremely important role to play. We all know that. Um, in our local communities, um. Uh, Merview being an example of that, um, so you know it's important that you know that people can transition into you know yeah. jobs and all can, that kind of thing. But look, at the end of the day, we can even see can, it from papers moving to digital and all that kind of thing. So we just need to be realistic about the changes that are happening, regardless of the scandal okay. that we saw with the RTE. But then, as a result, we're seeing a drop off, a can, massive drop off too. Can, can I fast forward to the eleventh of November of this year? And um, you may indeed formation two days after my best friend is getting married. But there you go. <laughs> That's okay. You'll be talking about <laughs> government formation if things are right around then. Um, what what will you do if you're in if you are if you're in power? And Mary Lou is our Taoiseach. Uh, what will you do in this regard? What commitment can you give on this? Uh, well, I suppose that's for. Um Mary Lou, I can't put uh, words into her mouth. And no, but I mean, I as, as a party. But I, like, I mean, I suppose it would obviously depend on what um, is is brought forward as an invitation and all of that. But um, would you still uh, go like this route said, with I, the TV I, I license? I couldn't. I, I I can't. As as much as I would, um, as we would love, if I was um, telling everybody what to do, that's definitely not a realistic prospect. So um, okay. I think that uh, we'll leave that kind of decision making out for Mary Lou. We'll let you go to the wedding then and enjoy it and not have to worry about it. But uh, Deputy Murray Farrell, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. The pedestrian crossing at the Old Dawn Dairies on the Renmore Road is stuck on red and there's huge delays in the area. Will somebody just go out and pull the plug? So, do, yeah, we'll, we'll send somebody out from Flannery's Hotel. We'll get Mary Flannery to go out, pull the plug and uh, let it go from there. And uh, yeah, pedestrian crossing at the Old Dawn Dairies in Renmore is stuck on red keys. Uh, serious delays. Regarding amnesty for TV licence, will they give a refund to those who took the responsibility and abided by the law and paid their TV licence? So says Neil at the programme today. today. And another caller said, as a mature student with the young students in class, I found that younger students never challenged lecturers. Only the mature students questioned anything. Another caller said, the, Keith, the Shinners are great talking the talk, uh, but will they actually walk the walk? Actually, we have to wait and see. We won't call them Shinners now. We call them Sinn Féin. Please, bit of respect there if you don't mind. And uh, Other calls coming in there too in relation to Cree. I'll give you some of those details in a few minutes' time. And don't forget too, by the way, uh, there is a, a meeting in the Galway Bay Hotel tonight. And again, we spoke about this last week uh, with Sergeant Mick Walsh on it. Uh, but there is a meeting uh, tonight in the Galway Bay Hotel. And if you want to get further details, I'm going to give them to you right now. Uh, just if I can find them this very second, I will give them right now to you. Yep. Uh, so Neighbourhood Watch meeting. Uh, this meeting will be held uh, Tuesday, 13th of February, 7.30pm. Galway Bay Hotel, expert speakers, security exhibitions, and all are welcome. So it's a free public event for Neighbourhood Watch. If you want to go along, Galway Bay Hotel tonight, 7.30pm. 